Thank you, Jesus. Wow. How many of us are just so rocked by what the Lord did last weekend? What a privilege. What a privilege. I remind myself that he doesn't have to come like that. But he did. Because he loves you. And you said yes. And um, I just, I was so moved. I just want to maybe just start off by honoring you um, on behalf of our eldership team. Just honoring you for your response last weekend. Um, We've been in lots of wild meetings, but I must say for myself, that's one of the first times I've seen every single person in the room say yes. And you can feel it. It's like, I mean, you guys, there was a unity that last weekend. It was like, what I loved was, even for myself, I was sitting there going, this is wild. I have no idea what's going on. I can't understand this. I can't figure this out. But it's like we didn't allow our intellect to box God. And we just stood there and we went, wow, Lord, we're, this is a sign and a wonder. We're just, we're in awe of you. And everybody jumped in. And I want to honor you for that. I want to honor you for your yes. I also want to honor you for your generosity. Last weekend was a privilege to be a leader and a shepherd in this house because we blessed Relentless Pursuit Ministries abundantly. And uh, I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for sowing. Thank you for being obedient to the Lord. Um, it's such a privilege when we do that because it's such a testimony of the culture of heaven that God is imparting and teaching and training us in at 24-7. That a, a significant, maybe smaller number, but significant community like this can be that kind of blessing uh, to other communities and churches in our nation. We're one. We're a body. We're a bride. Uh, how many of you know we love every church? Every church. Whether they're in cathedrals, under trees, doesn't matter. So thank you. Um, and uh, how many of you this week felt like, what the heck just happened? What do I do now? I'm sure you would have you know, woken up on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and just been like, and we had, with our young adults on Friday, it was so funny. Um, Gerard shared, and, and he's coming tonight, but he, uh, we got him to share the word. And he said the same thing. He said he woke up and was like, what do I do with this? This is wild. I mean, I don't know if you saw Gerard. He, got, he flew out of the door. He was on the pavement outside for most of the... There was so much that happened. We were telling the stories on Friday, and he was like, when did that happen? And we were like, dude, you were on the floor outside on a Sunday. Uh, you didn't see any of that. Um, but it, it was that feeling. And I, I want to say to you, um, I said this on Friday night, we're not, um, we don't have guest speaker syndrome, right? We're not chasing guest speakers to make us feel good. We're not, we're not a conference people. We love conferences. We love gatherings. But we're a presence people. We're in love with the person of Jesus. And what happened this last weekend was the Lord came and he breathed on us. And he said, I just want to blow your minds. I just want to, I want to enlarge your vision, enlarge your capacity. I want to just stir hunger in your heart again. It's like the Lord wanted to come and just remind us and go, you do know you're supernatural, right? That's what it felt like. And, uh, and what he did was he brought honor into the house. You know, Pastor Perry, he, he really modeled that so well. He brought honor. He enlarged our vision for what God's taking us onto in the land. He released and commissioned sons and daughters in this house. You were commissioned. So gone are the cinematic experiences of Sunday mornings. <laughs> and now has come a time for us to actually stand alongside as brothers and sisters and run in the kingdom. So I'm really excited for you. Sometimes you need to just tell your face that you agree with me. You're just excited. I'm excited, so I'll try and be more. Um, just a key that I want to give us before we get into what we're going to do today. How beautiful is this picture? That's Antioch. We're going to talk about that today. But um, just a key that the Lord spoke to me about. He spoke to me about agreement this week. And uh, we shared it uh, this morning when we were praying. I just want to, I want to give you a key that I believe is going to be a, a tool for us as a community to steward and carry what is pouring out over our church, right? And we're going to talk about that because some of you might have experienced last weekend and just been like, okay, now what is that? Like, no context. Yes, it was wild, but what does this look like? And we're going to unpack that a little bit today. But this is a tool that you need to pay attention to, and it's about agreement. And the Lord spoke to me about agreement, and this week He said, Con... Um, agreement is not recognizing something to be true. Because we do that well. So when you come on a Sunday morning, the pastor or the minister would have can say something and you can recognize what he's saying to be true. But that's not the full expression of agreement. Agreement is I need to come into the substance of what that person is saying. It's going to cost me. It's an investment. I need to come into agreement with what he's saying. It's not just a recognizing. It's actually coming into it. And so I want to encourage you that that demands a response. 
in your life. When you recognize something to be true, that's beautiful. But agreement is when you respond to that, you back that, you come into that, you align yourself with that for the purposes of that thing coming to fruition. Are you with me? So now, when, uh, when a worshiper begins to describe Jesus, we can sit back and look and go and recognize that to be true and go, wow, that's beautiful. Or we can agree and come into the substance of what they're saying. And what begins to happen is you begin to overflow with the very same thing. We can look at the inheritance God's given us on that land and we can stand back and recognize it to be true. Or we can come into agreement and invest our lives as seed into what he's about to do and see the harvest. Are you with me? And that's in everything that we do. When, somebody, um, when somebody's ministering and somebody wants to release a word over your life, or, and it's obviously a respected, trusted person that has a relationship with the Lord. But when that's happening, when you come into agreement, you open your heart to receive. Because agreement, you need honor to agree. You have to honor in order to agree. And so when you honor and you come into agreement, you open up to receive, but not only that, to engage and participate in what the Lord's about to do. A lot of you don't even realize that you did that last weekend. Because there was just like this swirly vortex thing. We just got sucked into it. Some of you had, you were like, no, you just got sucked into it. And the next thing you were flying over the room and roaring and screaming. And <laughs> I loved it. I was so cool just watching people. It was like, no, no, no. Whoa. I love it. So this morning, my heart is to just bring a little bit of culture and, and substance and direction and clarity to who we are as a house, that what the Lord's poured out over us this last weekend, that actually now we, we're going to run forward into the dream of God, into the things that He's given us, because He awakened us to His dream. He refreshed us in His dream, but now He's equipped us to run. He's commissioned us to run, and it takes all of us. It's a bride, it's a body, it's a family. And I think it's going to get really difficult for people to come and, and belong and be a part of this family and, and remain orphans. Because the spirit of adoption has filled us. The spirit of adoption has filled this house. And so it's going to be impossible to stay orphans. You will find yourself coming into sonship, coming into knowing how to be a son and a daughter. And I, I've shared this with a couple of the, the young folks as well, that when you say yes to Jesus which is what we did. I mean, how powerful was that moment last week when Pastor Piri was preaching and he called for a response and there wasn't a single person standing in the room? That's powerful. That's beautiful. Normally, you have wild meetings when a few people do that and you think, wow, that's incredible. We had the whole room on their faces. And I, I almost want to remind you of the weight of that and just say, can you see what the Lord's doing? We said yes to Him. And I love what Pastor Piri said. I'm just refreshing us a little bit. He said, your yes without devotion is powerless, but your yes in devotion to the Lamb is dominion. And so it's devotion to the Lord that sustains and brings context to our yes. But you cannot be devoted to the Lord outside of family. Let me say this. It's impossible to be a disciple of Jesus and not be in the local church. Family, the bride, the corporate expression of the kingdom of heaven on the earth, is what gives context to your yes. Now, I've said this before, I know there's been misrepresentations of the church, of God, of, of how things are meant to be. Institutionalism has crippled the church in many ways. But God's healing us and setting us free from that. And so just because something was misrepresented doesn't mean that it's wrong. So God's actually all about authority and the government of heaven and um, submission and relationships and honor and all these different things, but for the purposes of context for you to thrive in what God's called you to do. And so we're after, as a community and as a family, we're after creating context for the yes that's in your soul, that's in your spirit. That when you say yes to God, you actually have people around you that can bring color to the expression of your yes. Because what happens is you say yes to Jesus and you begin to run and somebody else says yes and locks arms with you and another one locks arms. And before you know it, you're lined up with an army of laid down lovers all saying yes to Jesus. And now you've just painted the canvas with the dream of God. Are you with me? So what it's going to take to see the dream of God established on the earth is more than your little life. But it's your little life tied to the bride of Christ, connected one with everyone else, running together in the same direction. You with me? If we're going to see the harvest, the billion soul harvest, the end time harvest, whatever you want to call it, we're going to see waves and waves and waves of people coming to know the Lord. It's going to take a lot more than one or two or three or four or even a few thousand. It's going to take all of us. So what a privilege that we as 24-7 get to lock in as one expression of God's heart on the earth 
And we get to serve his dream, which means we get to serve other churches. We get to serve our city, serve our government, serve our nation, serve our continent, and serve the nations of the earth. I was just refreshed reading uh, 24-7's vision, and this is from day one. This is when, when 24-7 was birthed. This is what the Lord released over us. It's our vision. It's our mandate. It's who we are. And I want to read it over you and just remind you. The vision of 24-7 Christian Church is to be a people living a life of daily encounters and relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody say daily. daily. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> the vision of 24-7 Church is to be a people living a life of daily encounters and relationship with Jesus Christ, which enables us to live in the grace and freedom of the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to go and transform our city by demonstrating kingdom, culture, and seeing Isaiah 61, 1-3, fulfilled in the lives of individuals, families, and nations. When I was reading that this morning, I was just so stirred and encouraged because it's like, Lord, you, you put the seed in us from the beginning. Like, you knew what we were going to live in. You knew what we were going to become as the people of God. You knew what you called us to do right from when you planted and started 24-7 Church. And we're living now in the fruits and the harvest of seeds sown 17, 18 years ago. And it's a privilege. You know, this weekend we had, we had such a beautiful time honoring the father and mother of this house. And uh, something incredibly powerful and profound was released. If we do not honor the father and mother of this house, we cannot expect revival. And again, we must come into agreement with that statement, not just recognize it to be true. Which means it costs you. It's a beautiful thing. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's do it. If you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. <laughs> yeah. So I want you to just look at this picture. I took this picture from the balcony of the place we were staying while we were in Antakya, and uh, Antakya is the modern name for Antioch. We're about to read about Antioch. It's in Turkey, um, and it's right down the bottom of Turkey, right next to the Syrian border. And I love this place. The Lord took us there, and we connected with uh, the church there. It's about, I think it's about 250,000 people, something like that in the city, and there's about 300 Christians. Big deal, hey? And there's one missionary, and she's 89 years old. And so you can imagine when I got there, I was like, we're moving here. There's a lot of work. We have to, you know, it's like, and the Lord brought us home. But um, we took this picture, and we went all the way there, and the Lord, we ended up finding this key, and I forgot to bring it this morning, but this beautiful key, and I have shared this before, but I'm just refreshing I was in this uh, little shop with Jess, this old like, antique shop of Antioch, and um, looking around at different things, buying soaps and all these cool things. And the next thing I see on this counter, there's this old key. And it, it didn't, there was just one. It, didn't look like it, was, it looked like a, a decoration. I didn't even know if she was actually selling it, the lady. It was just there. And so we asked her, um, well, we tried to ask her. She didn't speak English, so it was like a lot of sign language. And, um, but we said, you know, is this for sale? And she said, hold on, let me phone. And she phoned the, the owner of the store. And they said, no, we're prepared to sell that to you. So then I realized, okay, I don't know if this is actually for sale, but now she's prepared to sell it to me. And, uh, and I said, what is it? And she used Google Translate, and she put this thing in, and it comes up and says, the old church key of Antioch. And the Lord said to me, I want to awaken the Antioch culture of Acts 11 and Acts 13 and the bride again. And that's what we came back from Turkey with. Um, and the Lord's been unraveling that in our hearts for a while. Uh, I want to encourage you. We have a, a Turkey team on standby ready to run into the nation of Turkey. We're just waiting for quarantine to reduce a little bit um, when we get there. And uh, so we're praying about August. Stand with us. Pray with us. We're going to get our team together and start praying again. Um, but there's so much that the Lord's doing. But he gave us this key and he spoke to us about unlocking the, the old Antioch culture of Acts 11. 
in Acts 13. And I've shared this before, but I believe that it's like a, it's a prototype, it's a, a picture of what God's doing in 24-7. That God right now is actually raising up Antioch sending centers all across the earth. Because the revival that's coming and that is here, hello, last weekend, that's here, just a reminder, because sometimes we cry out for something that God's given us already. And our problem is not that God didn't give it to us, our problem is we don't know how to steward so God's brought an outpouring of the Spirit of God on the church. And sometimes what we do is we quickly jump to meetings. So what we want to do is we have meetings like last weekend and we go, we need to replicate that. And why, th this is where it gets dangerous is because we want to replicate something, we get lost in hype. And we get so stoked about a vibe and an energy and one way that God moves and we miss all the other ways. And so what we're, what we're feeling now as a church is, okay, God breathed on us. He moved in power. And we have an expectation for signs, wonders, and miracles to continue to be poured out over the church. But we're not trying to replicate something. We're moving in the dream of God. We're moving forward into the destiny, the dream, the vision of the kingdom on the earth. And so when we do that, we realize that the Spirit of God that's being poured out, a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God, an awakening in the bride, the reason for that is for His dream. And His dream is not just a bunch of successful meetings. His dream is that all may come to know Him. That when we stand in the throne room of heaven, we will see every tribe and tongue and nation worship Him in diversity and in expressions of, of God that are so different. There will be times we'll be in the throne room of heaven, we'll look and go, I've never seen anything like that that is so beautiful and then we come into agreement and we join in the next thing you'll be singing in Swahili but this is the reality as we go hold on the languages that God's released on the earth are actually given to us as a gift to bless him in diversity to minister to him so it's a privilege. Actually, in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit moves over them. They begin to speak in languages they did not learn. Why? It's a picture of something that's coming, something that we're taking a hold of. When we say on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying throne room on the earth. Right. And so God's raising up Antioch sending centers. Now, there's some, some key things about Antioch. Um, if we don't have the church in Antioch, we don't have a Gentile church. If we don't have the church in Antioch, we don't get Paul, the apostle. Let me put it this way. If we don't get the church in Antioch, you don't get to hear about Jesus. Because Antioch was where Christians caught the dream that was bigger than Israel. Antioch was where the believers caught the dream that this is for the ends of the earth. And so God is, is stirring up this culture in us again. And we see Acts chapter 11 verse 19. So then, since they were unaware of these developments, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with the stoning of Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. That's really far, by the way. Without telling the message of salvation through Christ to anyone except Jews. Okay, so this is, this, this is key. Up until this point, Holy Spirit moved in Jerusalem. It took them ages just to get from Jerusalem to Samaria. It took persecution just to drive them out of Jerusalem, right? But when Jesus commissioned them, he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? So it took them a while to catch the, the vision here. It was kind of like, no, we're still, we're still waiting for him to just deal with Jerusalem. No, God wanted nations. And it took them a while. But so we see they were just kind of teaching to, to Jews, and they kept this thing really contained. But Holy Spirit wants to break out. Yeah. Holy Spirit is, is driving and, and, and uh, igbaloing the church. I'll explain that's a Greek word. But he's, he's driving the church. He's, he wants to explode. There's so many people he wants to reach. And so now there's been persecution and these people are scattered and most of them are just sharing the gospel with the Jews. But verse 20, but there were some of them. We don't know their names. We don't know their faces. We don't even know their stories. But there were some of them. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, proclaiming to them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Real simple. And the hand of the Lord was with them. The Amplified explains what that actually means. The hand represents the power and the presence of the Lord. So the power and the presence of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. I'm so tempted to explain Barnabas a bit more, but I've done that before. 
When he arrived and saw the grace of God that was bestowed on them, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with an unwavering heart to stay true and devoted to the Lord. For Barnabas was a good man, the Amplified says, privately and publicly. His godly character benefited both himself and others, and he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith in Jesus the Messiah. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And Barnabas left for Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with others in the church and instructed large numbers. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, let's pause for a second. A couple important things about this community. I'm using this as an example to impart values to us as a church that will help us carry what the Lord wants to do. The temptation when there's outpouring on the church is to become introspective inward and about us and our meetings. That is not how we sustain revival. We must see the dream of God. We must be living, saying yes to those who don't know Him yet because then He can continually pour out over us because that's what's going to sustain us in the long, in the long term. Okay, so there's a couple things here. Barnabas, they send Barnabas. Why do they send Barnabas? Because Barnabas came into agreement with the dream of God. And the way that he did that was he sold land and laid it at the apostles' feet. He sold his asset and he laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet because he recognized the need. And he said, Lord, you have invited us to participate and engage and come into agreement with your dream that we may partner with you with our seed to see the harvest. So Barnabas does that in Acts chapter 4. And now we jump years ahead to Acts chapter 11. And it's Barnabas' generosity and his understanding of the dream of God and his agreement that qualifies him to father a movement that will reach the Gentiles. It's Barnabas' agreement and his heart to invest his life. I mean, it cost him. It cost him. That asset might have been his retirement plan. (laughs) It cost him. He felt it. And he laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet and his generosity and his seed. The seed that he planted in Acts chapter 4 was the harvest he was going to reap in Acts chapter 11 and 13 and beyond. Are you with me? So Barnabas is the guy who Holy Spirit recognizes and says, send him to father a movement. And Barnabas goes to Antioch, sees that the grace of God is upon the community. The grace of God. That's how we recognize revival. The grace of God. So if we have, a, a, if we have what happened this last weekend, but we slip into a religious mindset as a default, it's not revival. Because it's the grace of God that marks and defines revival. So when the grace of God is upon a community, there's a couple of things that happen. Number one, first one we see here is fathering. So it's a great privilege to honor a father and a mother because it's a mark of revival. Not just a seasonal outpouring, but it's a mark of something that can be sustained and reach many nations. Okay. Barnabas, and he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. It's really simple. What rocks me is that Barnabas left. Can you imagine? Barnabas comes, he's sent from Jerusalem. And he sees this community, the grace of God's on them. He goes, guys, revival's broken out. Pause. I just need to go to Tarsus. I'll just be gone for about three months. I'll be back. You just continue in the grace of God. We would all freak out and be like, dude, you were sent here to lead us. What are we going to do for three months? Because Tarsus wasn't a skip and a... I mean, when you go there and you look, you look how far it is and you think they walked. When I was standing in Antioch, I'm like, first of all, how the heck did it get you from Jerusalem? It's a long distance. And then you look at the map and you stand, you kind of look at the coast and you look up and you go, whoa, this is, this is a long time of travel. So what is it about Barnabas as a father? What is it about the culture that was established in Antioch that recognizes the destiny of God in others and welcomes them to engage and participate with what the Lord's entrusted us with? So Barnabas gets given the assignment to Father Antioch, but he comes then, he, re- he remembers this man, Paul, who came to Jerusalem, and everyone rejected him except Barnabas. And Barnabas actually takes him to the disciples and says, hey, this guy has been changed by Jesus. He's preaching the gospel. And God's anointed him and called him as an apostle to the Gentiles. And they send Paul to Tarsus. They send him home. But Barnabas comes to Antioch, remembers the destiny and the call of God on a son. And like a good apostolic father, goes and fetches a son who's probably wondering what the heck he's doing in Tarsus when God's called him as an apostle to the Gentiles. And he brings him into the context, the the culture of a family that's going to celebrate, champion, and commission him in what God's called him to do. 
There's something about an Antioch community that celebrates the destiny of God over sons and daughters and fights for it. That we're actually prepared to go and fetch and pay the price of how long it's going to take for me to go and get that person and bring them all the way back. And I just want to remind you that the people that were in the Antioch church were scattered there because Paul approved Stephen stoning. So can you imagine this? It's not only just anyone's destiny. The guy who killed your friend, who made you so scared that you ran from Jerusalem to Antioch, I'm going to go fetch him, and I'm going to bring him back here, and he's going to teach and equip and train in this community because God said so. So you've got a spiritual father. He goes and fetches a son and brings him into a community. And can you imagine... Barnabas, which is Paul, just stay behind me. Here we go. Walk into the church. Guys, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is we've got a brand new apostle. God's anointed him, chosen him. He's about to just bring revival in what we do. Is just God's going to use him mightily to reach many nations. The bad news is it's Saul. Okay, here we go, everybody. Can you imagine? So what is it about this community that not only stood back recognized the word of the Lord on his life to be true. They didn't just do that. They came into agreement with the destiny of God over Paul's life. And we see in Acts chapter 13 that they were prepared to commission, send him, and actually champion him, support him, stand with him, be a community that would be a base for a man like Paul because of the destiny of God. This is what revival looks like when it's lived out. This is what revival looks like. I just want to remind you that for Paul, who's now the apostle called to the Gentiles, he came in and he submitted to Barnabas. You'll actually see in Acts chapter 13 that when they mention the gifts, Barnabas is number one. Why? Because he's the spiritual father of that house. So fathers bring sons into family and commission them and release them in a trusted, safe space to flourish and thrive. I'm saying to you, 24-7 church is going after modeling something where sons and daughters can come into the house and be under authority so that they can be in authority. That if you'll learn to submit to the government of God in this house, you will thrive and flourish, be commissioned and sent and supported. That what's coming from this house is a movement that's going to reach the nations. And it's not just going to be, hey, by the way, shop, shop, go have a good time. Thanks for being with us. See you in 10 years. No, actually, we want to be invested and come into agreement with the destiny of God on your life for wherever he's commissioned and sent you. So it's not going to look like train up missionaries, send them out, and never see them again. It's going to look like sons and daughters that are coming back to a rendezvous point like Antioch. Coming back, a rendezvous point of the nations, coming and going, sending and receiving. That's what we're building. And so we see this. We see that he leaves for Tarsus. He fetches Paul. He brings him back. And for an entire year, they instruct and teach. And it says large numbers. So it means that this thing's reaching the city of Antioch. People are getting touched and changed. You know, I stood in the cave, St. Peter's Cave. It's now super Catholic. Um, but I stood in the cave. Not that that's a bad thing. Sorry, I'm just saying that's what it, when you're there, that's what it's like. Um, but we stood in that cave and I felt... The, sorry, Rob's. Now Rob's is gone. Um, that wasn't a joke. I didn't mean it as a joke. But I stood in that cave and I could feel the presence of the Lord intensely. And it was the only place in Antioch that I felt it like that. And then you read the stories of how the, the believers hid there. And there's a tunnel in the mountain that goes to the other side. It's still there. It's just not safe to walk through. You can see it, though. And, uh, and how they would gather there, especially in about 300 A.D. when it got really intense. You know, Antioch was destroyed multiple times as a city. Destroyed. There was nothing left. It was ruins. No one lived there for a long time. And then God rebuilt it. And so it's in this city where this powerful church is reaching their city, but at the same time becoming and cultivating a culture that's going to produce sons and daughters that will reach the unreached, that will reach places and locations that the gospel has yet to go. These are not two separate things. You cannot be a church that's about uh, the presence of the Lord, just ministering to the Lord, and then, yeah, reaching our city, and then you've got this other church that's about nations and unreached people groups and whatever. No, it's one thing. It's called the dream of God. And we see this, and listen to this, verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and prophesied through the Holy Spirit that a severe famine would come on the entire world. And this did happen during the reign of Claudius. So the disciples decided to send a contribution 
each according to his individual ability, hmm. to the believers who lived in Judea. And this they did, sending the contribution to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Okay, this is powerful. What was it about Antioch that, the, that attracted and drew the prophets to come into that kind of a community to release a directional word that would demand a response from the bride? The famine was coming to Judea and that whole area. And they came from Jerusalem to Antioch to prophesy over Jerusalem and that region. When I read stuff like this, I go, Hold why? Why did, you, why did the prophets come to Antioch? I believe that the community of Antioch, they were such a prophetic people that there was context for a word like that to be released and a maturity for the right response. You see, because the prophetic in, a, in an Antioch New Covenant church culture, the prophetic comes and brings a word that demands a response from the believers that is weighed by leadership. Prophets don't come in and just get to do whatever they want to do. Prophets come in and speak and submit it to leadership and leadership come together and then the, the house begins to respond. This is how the prophetic works in the New Covenant. It's not about just coming in and being the man of the hour with the word. And I love prophecy and prophecy. This is a house of prophets. But look at what the prophetic looks like. It comes in with a detailed directional word where the Lord is speaking. It's a corporate word over nations. And it's the context of Antioch that brings the right environment for a response that's going to actually help the brothers. And the reality is the response of Antioch, the question they were asking was not this crazy, over-the-top, super spiritual thing of like this word. Does, it, does he mean an actual famine or a spiritual famine? Or, you know, no, actually the response was, how do we help the brothers? In other words, the response was the prophetic released in the church is actually to equip the church. That prophets are given to the church as a gift to equip us to be like Jesus and to reach the nations. So here's the thing. If famine was coming on the church, it was going to limit their ability to reach others, which means we need to take an offering, get a, a contribution that we can send to equip them to continue doing what God's called them to do. And the prophetic ignited that. It didn't birth a weird movement in Antioch. No, what it birthed was actually the kingdom of God demonstrated and revealed. Prophets were equipping the church to be the church. So what is it about Antioch? It's a community, a culture of revival, a culture of His presence, a sending people, a people that see the dream of God, that are living for more than just themselves. They're not in survival mentality. They're not just trying to succeed in a room. They're not thinking services. They're thinking nations. See, you pack out rooms with people who are burning and loving Jesus when you begin to imagine and dream and, and, and believe for packing out nations. Yeah. And when we talk about nations, thanks, Mom. When we talk about nations, we're talking about people. Ethnic groups. Ethnos. That's the word. Not borders. People. And I love that this contribution was actually sent by a father and a, a spiritual father and a son. Can you see how Antioch is modeling something even to the church in Jerusalem of the kingdom of God? Jump with me to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius of Serene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod and Saul. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Okay, pause. The word says serving the Lord and fasting. Yours might say ministering to the Lord and fasting, worshiping the Lord and fasting. The actual Greek word there is litogeo. Litogeo is a priestly word. It's a description of what the priests used to do when they came in and out of the temple. So the culture of Antioch was a priestly people that understood ministering unto the Lord, understood the priestly rhythm of life coming in and out, going in and out, in and out, not in and out of God's presence in your life, but coming into the house of the Lord, coming out, coming in. So when we come into our services, it's a priestly rhythm of coming together to worship and be ministers unto the Lord. And when we go out, we take the fragrance of Jesus to minister to the earth. And we come back into the, the gathering of the believers and we minister to the Lord. And we take the fragrance of Jesus and we go out and we reach. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's a priestly rhythm of life. People go, why do you have prayer rooms? 
even if there's only one person that comes in the day, because it's cultivating a priestly rhythm of life where people can pause and come in and spend five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, two hours, whatever it is, in the prayer room, love Jesus, cultivate a priestly rhythm, and take the fragrance of Jesus out. Are you with me? It's that priestly rhythm of life that positions Antioch to commission and send sons and fathers and daughters into the nations. And what I love is that these are a people centered around the presence of the Lord because it was while they were serving the Lord and fasting. There's new covenant fasting. I love it. While they were doing this, they created context for the Holy Spirit to speak and lead the church. So if we read it, the Holy Spirit said, well, how did he say? What were they doing that they were so alert and sensitive and listening and aware that the Holy Spirit could just speak into the community and bring direction and bring a release of something new in the church that they probably weren't even thinking about? There's something about the priestly culture that God is, is forming, the devotion of our yes, that God is stirring in our church, that when we begin to understand that this looks more than just a Sunday morning, this looks like your life yielded to Jesus, locked in relationally. You know, you cannot become family in two hours on a Sunday. You become family by doing life with people that are running with you in the dream of God. And if you're not submitted to fathers and mothers, if you're not locked in with brothers and sisters, you don't have context to see the full potential of your yes. This is why we talk so much about family. And Holy Spirit speaks to them and He sets them apart. And guess what they do? They receive the assignment from the Lord. And what's their first response? Continue to pray and fast. Because there are people of His presence even before there are people of assignment. We'll read two more, two more scriptures. Um, let's go to Isaiah 61. So this is part of our mission statement, our vision as the church, Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3. But I want to encourage you with the whole chapter. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim release from confinement and condemnation to the physical and spiritual captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance and retribution of our God and to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion the following, to give them a turban instead of dust on their heads, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. Sorry, just so I understand, this is a description of who you are. The garment of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they will be called the trees of righteousness, strong and magnificent, distinguished for integrity, justice, and right standing with God. The planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Now this is where the nations and the unreached and the stuff like that comes in. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up and restore the former desolations and they will renew the ruined cities. The desolations of many generations... Strangers will stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. People will speak of you as the ministers of our God, and you will eat the wealth of nations, and you will boast of their riches. Come on. Instead of your former shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, your people will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, in their land, they will possess double what they had forfeited, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery with a burnt offering, and I will faithfully reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. All who see them in their prosperity will recognize and acknowledge them that they are the people whom the Lord has blessed. That's where we become ascending people. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord, and my soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation, and He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom puts on a turban, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown into uh, to spring up, so the Lord will most certainly cause righteousness and justice and praise to spring up before all the nations through the power of His word.
That's what we're about as a family. And so the reason why I, I use the Antioch culture is because all year the Lord has been preparing us as a community to steward yes. From the beginning of this year, it was a war just to go to Turkey. Everybody said, no, don't go to Turkey. Our team, it was impossible to take a whole team. It was going to cost so much. It was, it was really, really difficult. And it got to the place where it just made no sense to go. And every time I sought the Lord, he said, go. And there was a war on yes. And then you go to Turkey and you see what the Lord does and how he moves and what he birthed in Antioch. And you come back with this revelation of a culture that he's establishing, a kingdom culture in the earth, so that we can steward and carry the yes of God. It looks a lot more than just wild meetings like we had last weekend, although that's powerful. We're going to see it. You have to have an expectation. Come into agreement with that. We're going to see that explode in our meetings, explode in our gatherings. But it's more than that. God has commissioned you to be a steward of revival in your sphere of influence where he's placed you right now. And he's called you and he's commissioned you and he's set you apart. And he's saying if you will come in as a son and a daughter, you will flourish, you will thrive, and you'll be able to run with context for what's been put in your heart. There are things that are going to come out of you that the leadership of this church would never dreamed of. There's things that are going to come out of you that it is not our job to dream up those things because you are the one who has that expression of his dream wrapped in skin. The job of shepherds and leaders in the house is to create safe context and soil for you to be planted, rooted, and grounded in truth so that you can flourish and so that you have a community to celebrate you, champion you, and hold you accountable to the destiny of God in your life. So we don't want to hold you accountable to your sin. Why would we do that if you've been set free from that? But we want to hold you accountable to the destiny of God that's been birthed inside of you. And so I'm saying to you this morning, come on, I love it. I'm saying to you this morning, last week there was profound words released over sons and daughters in this house. I want to hold you accountable today, this morning. Hold you accountable to that word. Not hold you accountable to whether you had a good week after that. I don't really care. What I do care about is the word that was released over you, the word of the Lord over your life, whether it was last weekend or 20 years ago, the word of the Lord over your life, we want to hold you accountable to your destiny in Jesus. So in this room is sitting a bunch of people that will reach CEOs, that will reach universities, schools, creatives, artists, the media world, and then there's some of you that are going to reach the unreached. <laughs> I mean it, man. And I want to say to you what it's going to look like. See, I'm crazy. Yeah, I know. So are you. I mean, we, we, yeah, yeah. We're, we're crazy, and I'll tell you why. Because it's impossible for me to come to this place with a group of people like you who worship Jesus the way we did this morning and last weekend and every Sunday when we come here. It's impossible for me to come and see Jesus the way that we see Jesus more and more every Sunday and then walk away and go, oh, that was really nice and carry on with life. It's impossible. It's impossible. I mean it. It doesn't matter how hard the week gets. I'm rocked. I'm lit up. I'm ready. I'm like, Lord, I know you're doing something. I just need to align myself with your voice. But here's what happens. This is where it gets crazy. It's going to cost. And that excites me. So you need to start getting excited about how much it's going to cost you to be a part of this family. Are you with me? <laughs> you need to get excited about how much it's going to cost you. Because here's the reality. Is that don't let something matter more that doesn't matter most. So what does that look like? It looks like things come into your life that look important. But is it the most important? If not, it bows. And then it becomes a joy to me to pay a price to be a part of the family of God. It becomes a joy to me to sow into people. It becomes a joy for me to sow into a, a legacy and a harvest. It becomes a joy for me to give my time and my energy and my love and my finances and my song and my gifts and my creativity and the expressions of the Holy Spirit. It's a joy to invest my life into something because it's the most important thing. See, you can't come to the throne room of Jesus and see Jesus and just go, Worthy. It's impossible. The picture that I'm getting more and more, and this is what's happening in my lounge. Like last night, I was just prepping, just went to bed, and I'm so glad you didn't see the stuff that was coming out of me, man, because I'm like, when you see Jesus, it's like you, I feel like I want to throw everything that I have at him. You just want to like, you're worthy. Ah, 
just want to throw things, throw your life at him, throw your money, throw your wallet, throw your clothes, throw your house. If you could pick your house up and throw it at him, you'd do that because he's just so worthy. He's so worthy and it's a joy. It's like you must have all. You have to have every part of my life. You know, you get up and you go, oh man, I got the suckiest job and man, whatever. You got to have my job, God. If my job is terrible and, and I, it's really boring or it's, it's hard and I don't like it, then Lord, let this be worship unto you. You must have this job. See, it's this kind of people who grab a hold of the dream of God where it's like, this isn't about whether I feel good about it or not. This isn't about whether it's easy and whether it's comfortable. This is, Lord, it's my joy to deny myself, to forsake all else, to possess you and your dream that when I stand before Jesus one day, I look into those fiery eyes and once again, I'm like, you're worthy. My life on the earth, every second that I breathe, you must have it. So then suddenly you see this, this, this kind of people, these Antioch crazy people, right? They totally shatter the religious spirit. Like there's no space for the religious spirit. And I'll tell you why. Because then it's institutionalism is out the window and now it's the government of heaven because it's a bunch of crazy, lovesick, Jesus-loving people that are like, I mean, it's just like generosity is like, it's it's just, it's everyday life. Signs and wonders is everyday life. Encounters everyday life. Hardships come. You know, this is the reality. These kind of people, my gifting means nothing if it's not wrapped in his anointing and surrendered at his feet. These kind of people are not looking for recognition. They're looking for the recognition of Jesus to be known. They're looking for the reputation of Jesus, the fame of Jesus to be glorified, exalted in their lives. They're looking, let me, let me put it this way. These people are looking for the lowest place. And they're looking for the lowest place because they know that in the lowest place, that's where the river flows, where it rushes and gushes and roars. So I want to say to you this morning, and I know you're not in a rush, so I'm taking my time. I want to say to you this morning, as the leadership of this house, I'm saying, making a, I'm making a commitment to you that we will not allow this family to settle, to become mediocre, We'll not allow you to go back. We won't allow you to get comfortable. We won't allow you to get tame. Because the word of, the life, the, the word of God over your life is fire. And so we'll hold you to that word. Even if it means upsetting you a little bit. Even if it means making you a little bit uncomfortable. And my deepest prayer, I want to say this to you, and I know when we had our elders meeting this week, this is what's coming from the heart of the leaders in this church. is like, Lord, make us wild. That the fire that you put on our lives would just spread like wildfire. That it's impossible for people to come into this house and not catch the fire of the dream of God. If God's called you to do something, don't sit back and wait for somebody else to open the door for you. Become the door. Are you with me? If God's called you to do something in this house, don't sit back and wait for somebody to open the door for you. You are the door. Become a door for others to come running through. There's expressions in your heart, many, many people that are going to come through the door of your life. I get excited because I'm looking at your faces and I'm going, can you imagine? Can you see the dream of God come alive? Can you see the expressions of the kingdom being birthed? And I can't say yes for you. And you can't say yes for me. But because of the grace and the privilege of the Holy Spirit to be able to stand here and have an opportunity to equip you, I can invite you to say yes. And that's what we're doing as a house, is that every time we're together, it's like we want to invite you to say yes again, yes to more, yes to his dream, yes to what he's doing. Because what's coming is, a, is a, a movement of the Spirit of God that's going to birth things that are way beyond what we can control, way beyond what we can understand. There's church plants that are going to be birthed from this house that look like nothing we've seen before. And God's even preparing us as leaders now. How do we do that? How do we steward that? How do we steward sons coming through, sons and daughters, that God's going to release and commission and send? But in the same way that God's preparing fathers in this house, He's preparing sons. And He's saying, will you choose the lowest place? And he's preparing missionaries and he's preparing teams because 42% of the population don't know Jesus. 
42%. Never gets old for me. And some of that population is in your sphere of influence right now. Can I read one more scripture? And then I'll finish, sorry. I must get permission because I am over time now. 1 Peter chapter 4. While you're getting there, I'm just going to start reading from verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and died for us, arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose. I'll read that again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and died for us, arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and died for us, arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose. <laughs> yeah. All right. There we go. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and died for us, arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose. Come on. Because whoever has suffered in the flesh, listen to this, being like-minded with Christ is done with sin, having stopped pleasing the world so that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living for human appetites and desires, but lives for the will and the purpose of God. For the time already past is more than enough for doing what the unsaved Gentiles like to do, living unrestrained as you have done, in a course of shameless sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and wanton idolatries. In connection with all this, they, the unbelievers, are resentful and surprised that you do not think like them or value their values and run hand in hand with them into the same excesses of dissipation and immoral freedom. And they criticize and abuse and ridicule you and make fun of your values. Welcome to the kingdom. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge and pass sentence on the living and the dead. For that is why the good news of salvation was preached in their lifetimes, even to those who are dead. That though they were judged in the flesh as men are, they may live in the spirit according to the will and purpose of God. The end and culmination of all things is near. Hello. Are you with me? The end and culmination of all things is near. Therefore, be sound-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer, staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication will be clear, reasonable, specific, and pleasing to Him. I love the Amplified. Sheesh. Above all, have fervent and unfailing love for one another. Yes. That costs. Yes. That looks like getting home at quarter to seven on a Wednesday night. And there is not a single bone or part of your body that wants to go and join Bible study. And what rises up inside of you by the Spirit of God is a fervent and unfailing love for the dream of God. Even if you have to jump on there and turn your video off because you're like, like Ben. <laughs> but you know what? That's real. Yeah, I had a long day but I'm not going to let something matter more that doesn't matter most. That's just a, I'm using a practical example, but you hear what I'm saying. Have fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Oh. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, just as each one of you has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as is appropriate for good stewards of God's multifaceted grace. Uh, we have to, you didn't get that. We'll start again. Just as each one of you has received a special gift, you, you have a special gift that God has put inside of you. Guess what it's for? Employ it in serving one another as is appropriate for good stewards of God's multifaceted grace. What does the grace of God upon a community look like? The dream of God, the gift, the anointing of God in your life employed to serve the bride. Whoever speaks to the congregation is to do so as one who speaks the oracles of God. Ooh, that's reverent. Whoever serves the congregation is to do so as one who serves by the strength which God abundantly supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified, honored, and magnified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
You need to read the rest of that chapter, and you need to read chapter 5. If you have a problem with authority, read 1 Peter chapter 5, and get set free and liberated to be who God's called you to be. I wish I, I wanted to read the whole thing for the sake of time. We won't. So read the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5. I'm praying today. I've said a whole bunch of stuff, and I get excited, and this is, like, this is the core message of my life, so I, I could talk about this all day. But I don't want you to sit here and, and be impressed by a sermon or be impressed by words. Because to be quite honest, it's not very impressive. But what I pray is that the fire of the Holy Spirit that's upon what's just been said would, would light something in your heart that causes you to run in an acceleration that you've never known. See, it's not your strength, it's not your speed, it's not your ability. It's a momentum of the Spirit upon your life. So 24-7 church is going to look like what we make it with our Yes. Because God has made a decision to co-labor and partner with man, and he will do nothing in and upon you that you don't say yes to. It's a big deal. So why I'm sharing this is because we come away from last weekend, and what the Lord's doing is he's putting the kingdom in your hands, and he's saying, will you be good stewards? What will you do with your yes? This week, my dad's releasing um, a whole series of blogs. It'll, be, it'll come out almost every day, and... <laughs> Just putting that on him. I think it's ready. Um, it will be anyway. Um, I'm going to get rebuked after this. But anyway, um, no, I'm teasing. But we've been, we've been writing these blogs, and my dad, there's a, a profound word that will come out this week on what it looks like to be sold out for Jesus in your everyday life. And so we'll release those, those blogs almost every day. So just keep a lookout for them. We'll put them on the groups, on social media, all of that. So that you can have something every day, just a little daily nugget that's going to help you outwork this. And I want to encourage you, if you, there's two things. If you're, if you're in the week this week and it gets a little bit tough, two things I want you to do. Number one, make sure you carve out time to be alone with God. Number two, phone the family. Phone the family, have a coffee, have a dinner, have a, or a phone call. Even if it's a phone call, a video call, a voice note, whatever. Connect with the family and let people in the house of God, brothers and sisters, speak into your life. Because when you do that, you continually are bringing that color and that context to your yes. And when it gets difficult, you have people that hold you up. Because let's be real, Tuesday morning gets rough. When there's bills to pay, people to meet, you know, places to go, it gets difficult. You know you've got stuff ahead, whatever it is. Make sure you carve out time to be alone with the Lord. But number two, make sure that you also carve out time to be a part of the family of God, not on a Sunday morning, but in the week. So what I'm, man, there was so much more I wanted to share, but because of the time, what I'm hoping you come away with today is realizing that what God's doing from last weekend, what He's been doing this year, what He's doing in your hearts, it's not a moment, and it's not something that we're striving to replicate. It's something we're choosing to abide in. And we're moving forward in the dream of God, and we're letting Him make us a people for His own possession. Are you with me? He's making us a people. You know, on, on, on the 1st of January this year, I have it in my journal, I was like, Lord, what, what's going to happen this year? What are you doing? And he, he said a whole bunch of stuff to me, but he said, this year, I'm going to teach you what it means to be a people of my own possession, a people of my presence. And he's doing that. Will you stand with me? We have an expectation tonight to go after healing and um, signs and wonders and a couple of different things. So once again, I want to ask you um, to, to pay the price. Cancel what you need to cancel. No, I'm joking. No, I'm actually not joking. Um, but let's use opportunities like these to invite people, to bring the sick, to bring, not because you need to bring it to, for someone else to, to pray for them, but because you bring them into an environment of faith. And so we want to create environments of faith in our meetings, and tonight we're going to go after a couple of things. And if I've said things today that offend you, praise Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that He's the comforter and that He'll minister to your heart and bring freedom to the areas that have offended you because He loves you so much. And I said nothing today to offend you. Nothing. My heart is not to offend you. My heart is to equip you, to encourage you, to stir you up. <laughs> You know, I got rocked when we were singing about India and I look over at Sarah and Daniel and they're weeping over the nation of India. They're teenagers carrying the heart of God for nations and very soon they'll put their feet on the ground.
Even my bro over there, God's called you to the nations. And you know that in your heart. And we've got mothers and fathers in this house, sons and daughters, that God's positioning right now to equip a generation that will go and we will be a people that will send. And I've said it before, there's three things. You're either one of these three things. You're a goer, a sender, or you're disobedient. And God's positioning us. We're going to send people extravagantly, beautifully now. We've got a couple trips coming up. We've got Botswana in June, Turkey potentially in August, Ukraine in November, and there's more coming. You know, every trip we've done, there hasn't been a cent in our account towards that when we've said yes. Do you know that when I went to Turkey, I had half of what we needed? And we went. And we got to like two days before it was about to run out. And we prayed. And we asked the Lord. And on, on one day, a whole bunch of money came in from a whole bunch of people on the same day who heard from God to sow into the trip. So we have a sending community. But it's also going to take a people that boldly say yes. So I want to honor you today as a people who do say yes. And I want to say thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence upon this house. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the yes of God in every single one of their hearts. And I feel like this morning is a um, God's just like stabilizing us. He's grounding us. He's positioning us. He's stirring your heart, just uh, putting a little bit of zeal. Not a little, actually a lot. He's putting a lot of zeal in your heart. And tonight, I believe you'll honor that with His presence. And so I want to encourage you to, to try and do your best to be here. And we're going to go after that the expression of those things. But Lord, we want to honor you today. Let's look at Jesus. Lord, we love you. You're worth everything. Like we've been saying, Lord, we want to throw our lives at your feet. Just like Mary, we don't want to put a lid on the alabaster jar. We want to break it over your life. That Our lives will never again be used for anything else but Jesus. Anything else but Jesus. Lord, you've given us a double portion, but you are the double portion. You are the double portion. So Lord, I just release the breath of God over every single person here right now. The breath of God, come alive this morning in Jesus' name. Come alive this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit.